So, if you do if you do comparisons of Elijah and Jesus, there's a lot of comparisons uh, to things that he that that he did. I wanted to just highlight a few of them, and then I'm going to go off on a tangent into theophany for just a second, and then I'll turn it over to Lauren. These are just uh, so in in First Kings 18, Elijah did a prophetic rebuke of Israel, including her leaders for pagan idolatry, especially the worship of Baal, urging Israel to turn from idolatry to the God of Israel. And then Jesus, he would give a prophetic rebuke to the religious leaders of the day. Remember he called them, you brood of vipers, and he would, he would say things that were not too kind to the religious leaders of that, the people who were trying to do the religious stuff. In that way, Elijah... And Jesus were very much alike. Um, his identification of himself as the good shepherd, the one who would lay down the life for the sheep, uh, the giver of eternal life, I, I think is, a, is it's almost like, um, has anybody ever done a study of Matthew's gospel and the way Matthew uses the Old Testament to talk about Jesus? It's like, he takes the Isaiah passage where uh, Isaiah says uh, there's a young girl here and that little girl won't, won't be old enough to give birth before I take away these. And Matthew then changes that word up and says the virgin shall be with child. It's almost like he's saying that everything that happened in the Old Testament was a precursor to what Jesus was going to do. Jesus was going to be the fulfillment of everything that happened. Let's go on and look. Elijah prophesied that rain would cease for years, um, and then he finally prophesied that rain would calm. Jesus calmed the storm. Uh, Elijah multiplying oil and meal for the starving widow, the widow of Zarephath, and then Jesus multiplying the loaves and fishes for the crowd. And the more I looked at this kind of stuff, I would I, just thinking Elijah was a great prophet in a dark, dark time in Israel's history. Um, Raising the widow's son from dead, from dead, Jesus raised the dead, the widow's son, Jairus' daughter, Lazarus, and then he himself was raised uh, as predicted uh, in, in Luke. Um, Elisha, who followed Elijah, then asked to receive a double portion of Elijah's spirit, seemingly a double portion of the miracles. Um, Elijah promised it would be so if Elisha remained with him and saw him as he was taken. Jesus said, they will do greater works uh, than he did. The people would do greater works than he did while on earth. And he would re- they would receive the power from the Holy Spirit to be his witness. Those are just a few things that line up. Here's another one. Elijah was the only person besides Enoch whom the Bible indicates didn't die. He was taken up in the chair, taken up by that's not right. He was caught up in a whirlwind who followed the chariot of fire. And then Jesus uh, with his death on the cross and secondly through the ascending in the heavens uh, when the disciples, as the disciples watched. Um, this is, in my opinion, the mo- one of the most important things. It brings so many things in the New Testament together from the Old Testament. Who were the Jews looking for um, and are still looking for today to return. That should be on. That should be on the tip of our tongues. Elijah, Malachi four five, predicts that Elijah will come 
again before Mashiach. Who else? Deuteronomy 18, the, I will send you a prophet like Moses. So they're looking for Elijah. They're looking for Moses. If you've ever been to a Passover setter, they set the plate for Elijah. Fully believe, the, the, the instructions in the Haggadah are you have to fully believe that Elijah will show up and eat that meal and drink that cup. That's why, uh, well, I'll just throw this as an aside. That's why the Passover night, when Jesus celebrated the Last Supper, if you'll read it, I believe Jesus walked down and picked up Elijah's cup and drank from Elijah's cup. And all the, all the guys went, <gasps> because he was indicating, Jesus said in Matthew 11 that Elijah has come, if you can believe it, John the Baptist was Elijah. So we're looking for John the Baptist, looking for Elijah, and uh, looking for Moses. So, at the transfiguration, there are some standing here who will not suffer death until they see the kingdom of God, the Son of Man coming, kingdom of power. Eight days, Jesus said these things. He took Peter and James and John up to a high mountain themselves, and as he was praying, his form changed in front of them. It's interesting that after Jesus is resurrected, no one ever recognizes him by his face. They, he shows them the scars where he was crucified, but they, they, they like look over at, out of the boat and they go, who is that? They don't recognize him until he does something. Remember the people on the road to Emmaus? They walked with him and they didn't recognize him until what? He broke bread. He broke bread and they remembered. That's, that must have been it. And then he disappeared. The appearance of his face was different. Shining like the sun, his clothing became dazzling white, as brilliant as a light. Also, they saw two men talking with him, Moses and Elijah. These appeared to be with radiance and began talking about, uh, with him about his exit. That, that word there is telos, about the end, about the culmination, about what's going to happen, which was to be carried out in Jerusalem. Now, Peter and those with him saw the radiance, the glory, of the two men standing there in the bright cloud and form enveloped them. As they entered the cloud, the three disciples became more afraid. The voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my beloved, that I have approved. The one that has been chosen, listen to him. That is a theophany. That's a theophany. Uh, let, let me just... Here's the word theophany. The Greek word is theos and phanios. And it just means God appearing. A God appearing. In the Old Testament, I just got a book this week, much to Dell's chagrin. Um, I ordered another book. And it has 400, it lists over 400 Old Testament theophanies when God appeared in some form or fashion. In the New Testament, we don't need theophany. Why? Because he's with us. Because he's with us. Emmanuel, God with us. That's that's amazing, and I it, it makes you read the Old Testament different. You see those things, uh, the voice coming out of heaven. That was God talking when Jesus was baptized. God talked. That's just amazing. After the voice he had spoken, the disciples fell upon their faces and became terrified. Jesus came over to them, touching them, and said, "Don't be afraid." 
When they looked up, they saw no one, but Jesus was there with them. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus joined them and ordered them, Don't tell anyone of the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. It's interesting that, I'm sorry, it's interesting that it's found in Matthew, it's found in Mark, it's found in Luke. It's, that's fudging. It's not really found in John, but it says, And we beheld his glory, the one who is full of grace and truth. So, yeah. That's not it's all that's exactly it's the way John writes and you'll have to come to that class this summer to figure that out but John right there's also a birth narrative in John not unlike the Luke version the Luke version there's a birth narrative it's just the way John writes after 60 years of seeing it okay so theophany I just want to give you three theop I'm going to give you two because I want Lauren to to do her deal um I'm going to give you two, two theophanies. On, on Carmel, answer me, O Lord, answer me. This is the people, may, so that people may know you. O Lord, are you, O Lord, our God, and you, that you have turned their hearts back. And then the fire of the Lord. That's a theophany. God directly intervened by sending fire. Fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water in his trench. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Adonai Huha Elohim. Adonai Huha Elohim. If you go to a, uh, a Yom Kippur service, what's Yom Kippur? Uh, Day of Atonement. Day of Atonement most holy day in all of Judaism. If you go to a Day of Atonement deal, and if you read Day of Atonement in Leviticus, you prepare for it for a week. And then on that day, everyone dresses solemnly and you put on, put on uh, you, I don't know if you put on sackcloth, but you dress solemnly and you stand before the temple as the priest goes in and sacrifices into the Holy of Holies. But at the end of it, at the end of every uh, Yom Kippur service to this day, in every congregation of Jews, they say, Adonai Huha Elohim, seven times. Adonai Huha Elohim. I just think that's, that's cool that that's been passed down. Um, then at Horeb, Horeb, this is the same, if you if you go back and read this account, it says that, why did he go to Horeb? Does anybody know? It's okay if you don't know. Well, who is he that we're talking about? Elijah. This whole, the, 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 this whole thing is on Elijah, Jesus, and Elisha. Oh, so was it Elijah, Elijah, or Jesus? Okay. Okay. So when he after Carmel, after Carmel, and Ahab is going to kill him, he goes to Horeb. Why did he go to Horeb? I'm sorry. He he was running away, but there's a more specific answer right there. An angel of the Lord took him to Horeb. If you look in the study, if you look at Paul, when Paul gets knocked off his horse going to Damascus, 
Well, that's kind of like a biblical Uber. It took him it's a, it's <laughs> well, remember he outran the chariot? Remember that? Ahab was in the chariot and he outran the chariot. So, yeah, you're right. Biblical Uber. There, there, I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> so, an angel of the Lord took him to Horeb. And what what is Horeb otherwise known as? Sinai, otherwise known as the mountain of God. The Mount of God. That's where the children of Israel received the Ten Commandments. That's the Mount of God. They camped there for three years at the base of that. That's where that and so he tells him, Go stand out on the mountain before because Elijah says, I want to see you. I want to see you. <clears throat> and uh, God said, So what what is, what's Deuteronomy say about seeing God? Anybody? No one can see God and live. And so God says, I'm going to pass by and you can look at my backside. And he didn't hit didn't see God. He didn't see God in a wasn't it, earthquake, a thunderstorm, but he a still small voice. The sound of a low whisper, the sound of a gentle blowing. And God was in essence saying That's one more of those things <coughs> that we gave up when we get thrown out of the garden. Is being in direct communication. Yeah, that's true. You could be with him. You could talk to him. Yeah, Randall did the earthquake and the storm. It's, it's, it's a statement against pagan gods because pagan gods are always associated with, with those elemental issues like you know, God, you know, the God of the earthquake. Baal was the God of rain, the God of storm. So, yeah. So it, 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 in essence, it's also a way of rejecting those, those pagan gods. That's right. That's right. I, you know, I've got one more, but I, this this one's hilarious. But it it, it uh, you need to go read this one because this will mess you up, and I don't really want to get into this today. But God basically says, "I'm going to go out and I'll lie for you to get him to come." So we're not going to talk about that. So Lauren, <laughs> Lauren's going to talk about covenant. <laughs> All right. Do what? God makes people lie sometimes. Well, I was telling Randall that I this is material that I've used at Lipscomb in this class that I actually took over from John Mark Hicks called God Creation and New Creation. And uh, I was so much of it was going through my head at the times that I've set in on this class. So I, I copied a bunch of notes and sent it to him, and then today I said, you know, it, it dawned on me that what I'm presenting took me weeks to build up to with my students, and I'm hoping to do it in about 20 minutes with you all, so, so bear with me. But we're some more far advanced. That's right, that's right. I, than your students. More, more than, that may be more true than you know, actually, but you have been reading the Bible for quite some time. That helps a lot. That's right, that's right, wow. Okay, so, what I thought would be interesting to talk about is how this material that we've been discussing kind of branches out in terms of our kind of covenant vocation. So um, what I want to do is talk about that in terms of election, which is kind of always a tricky concept. But what I think, I think we need to frame election in terms of vocation. 
rather than that we are elect to go to heaven and some other poor wretches are sent to hell. So if election is vocation, I want to think about that in terms of our being created as humans in the image of God. And then also as uh, as the new Israel. So a royal priesthood. So really quickly, I'll, I'll run through how and the, the connection between these two, and how these sort of how there's this unfolding understanding of our vocation in Scripture. But so starting with Genesis and Genesis 1:26 through 31, we have God drawing Adam, humanity, out of the ground and breathing life into him and her. God creating humanity in God's image, male and female, and so that. The message here, if we are created in God's image, the message that goes with that is do not make idols because God has already created God's image, it's us. And the image is not to be worshipped, but rather to point back to the source, the source of life. So sin and the fall is what occurs when humanity said and still says, I don't like being in your image. I want to create my own image. I want to do, I want to worship something other than the source of who I am and my, I want to set aside my vocation to be an imager. So humans in the image of God, we might say our vocation is uh, to point back to God. That's always the vocation, right? There's also this kind of interesting piece to all this when we look at the vocation that Adam and Eve are given in the garden and Eden itself. And the way we can frame this is we can think about Eden in terms of temple, sanctuary, Eden is like the Holy of Holies. It's a place of shalom, a place where God enjoys life with humanity, where there is unity and peace between male and female, between humans and the the rest of the creation, the animals, the place where there is no death. And outside of the garden, if you'll remember, is where chaos fills the creation. And the intention here, and I think this is really interesting, this is something that I I honestly had not thought about much until I I started teaching this class and wrestling with this material. The creation itself was designed towards this kind of, uh, a telos, right? This kind of dynamic emergence into, out of chaos. So God created and saw that it was good, but not perfect, It's kind of the idea. And so humans were created to expel the chaos from creation is the way this, you, you can understand this. And then when they failed in that purpose, chaos reigned in the creation rather than uh, us filling our, our role of expelling it. And yet we are still called into the same vocation. But now this is going to be accomplished in a new way is what we see in, in the, over the course of the Old Testament. But still, the, the whole purpose I think we can, we can understand is Eden, this temple, this place of shalom, is to spread throughout the earth. And we are to be its ministers. That's our, that's our job. And you see that specifically in Genesis 1.28 with this call to fill and subdue, you know, all that, that language that we haven't known really what to do with. You can see that if you frame it in terms of spreading Eden, you can think of that as we are to fill the earth with images of Eden. We are to kind of live into this creative function of subduing it, subduing the chaos, bringing order out of it and managing or caring for the creation. This is what dominion means. And here's the nice connection with what we've been studying. 
you can think of this in terms of right uses of power. So, you know, a lot of times when we hear subdue the earth, that's, that's been used by Christians in a lot of really terrible ways to justify some really terrible things. But when you read something like Psalm 72, which is an enthronement psalm, this is celebrating the king on the new year, and it's intended to remind the king of who he is supposed to be. So what we see here is that the king is to be one who helps the weak, who empowers the marginalized. Sally, would you mind reading that for us? Psalm 72, verses 17 through 19. It'll probably do. May his name endure forever. May his name increase as long as the sun shines. And let men bless themselves by him. Let all nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone works wonders. And blessed be his glorious name forever. And may the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Thank you. So leading up to that, I, we don't have time to read all of it, but leading up to that in that psalm, there's all this naming of what this, this kind of king will do. It's someone who hears the cry of the oppressed, who is mindful of injustice. And then in the end, you have this affirmation, which Sally just read for us, that the nations will bless this sort of king. So that here you hear this sort of expansionistic function, right? That we are to call, the Israel's to call the nations to glorify God. And I think that's really important that when we think about what does it mean to subdue the earth, to subdue the creation, this is talking about reigning over the chaos, expelling the chaos of injustice, and teaching people who God is. This is spreading Eden. So that's the role of the king, and what we see time and again in Israel is that the king fails to live into this calling, right? So that's what happens when things fall apart and chaos comes back and reigns in Israel itself. It's because the king hasn't lived into this sort of vocation of spreading Eden. But there's also a priestly function that I think is really important. Uh, We see it, first of all, in Eden itself. And what a priest does, if you remember, is that there's this sort of mediation between creation and God. So a priest represents God to creation, and the priest calls creation itself to worship and praise. So Adam and Eve are elect in this sense. They're chosen. God gives them responsibility to serve and protect. And it's a kind of privilege, but it's not a privilege to go to heaven while everyone else burns. It's a privilege to serve to participate in the emergence of what God intends the creation to become. And that same sort of election applies in Genesis 12 to Abram. He too is named as elect, as chosen. And here we have the Abrahamic promise, which becomes the bedrock of salvation hope, which is that God will remain faithful even when we do not. So that's the the promise that God will make of Abraham a great nation, And there's this commitment to bless all people, the nations, through him. So, you know, again, I'm speeding through all this, but what I think is, what I think can be really helpful for us is that we too are the inheritance of this election. Um, And we see that as Israel is supposed to be a new Eden, a place where the nations will be blessed, uh, we too are supposed to be a new Eden because we are supposed to be the new Israel, right? So uh, just as when Israel fails, uh, God remains faithful, what we finally see, the culmination of that, is the Messiah. That God says, I will be faithful to my promise even to the point of becoming human. 
even to the point of becoming the one who is elect, the one who fulfills this. My promises will not fail. So Jesus is the remnant, the Messiah, the elect one who serves. And now this has been extended to us. So two points that I think are interesting on this account. One is that in Romans 4.13, we find the repeated Old Testament language of to be fruitful and multiply, to expand. Same language uh, used in the Great Commission of Acts and the language of going into all the world in Romans 4.13. So this expansion of Eden, we can still think of as, as part of God's purpose for creation and how God intends to use us. And then second, just as Israel is called to be a holy nation and a priestly people, to represent God to the nations, this is the same language that's repeated in 1 Peter regarding the church. This is what the church is to do, to serve in this priestly function. So our job is to call creation into a mode of praise and to demonstrate to the nations, to the world, who God is. And then I'm also trying to be mindful of time running through all this. Uh, this is what I, this part of this I found really interesting as well. Um, someone will read Romans 9, 1 through 5. We could think about what our gifts are as the new Israel. What gifts do we have to, to live into our vocation as images of God, as people who spread evil? Romans 9, 1 through 5. This is where we'll intersect with some of this theophany stuff. I am telling the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were a curse separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are the Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption, the sons, the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the temple service, and the promises, who is of the fathers, and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh, is overall God bless forever. Thank you. So uh, what is interesting here is what we can find is the gifts that Israel has been given to live into their covenant vocation that we now inherit. So I think it's extremely important to have classes like this one because we don't know enough about our inheritance as the new Israel, I think. I think that's a big lack in sort of Christian consciousness. So I think it's worth attending to what are we inheriting here. So first of all, I think it's interesting that uh, Paul names his kindred here as Israelites rather than Jews. And what this evokes, I think, is it kind of recalls their story, their heritage. Um, Israel means wrestles with God. So this is the story that belongs to them. This is who they are. Uh, and then what are the specific gifts they have been given in order to live into their vocation? They've been given adoption. They have been given divine glory. And we can talk about that in terms of theophany. But I think it also kind of spreads and covers more than that. We hear something else? Covenant. Covenant? Yeah. And Torah. Temple. That's right, yep. 
I think it talks, it's a, the history, the patriarchs. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so I'm unpacking this theologically a little bit. Um, so first of all, with the adoption, this is kind of going back to, again, this, this notion of election as being chosen for a vocation. So uh, we could think of this as being of a we are chosen in love. And then we are chosen to serve. And everyone is called to this vocation. Everyone is called to election in some sense. right? Because again, this is the human vocation. We think about being situated in Eden. It's not unique to a few righteous people that have been chosen to be, to stand out amongst all humans. But the inheritance is a key part of this. Abraham is described as the heir to the cosmos. And in Revelation, the people who overcome trials will inherit the heavens and the earth. So this is something we, we are now living into. And I think we can think about this in terms of Romans 8, 15 through 17, that we've been given the Holy Spirit that's brought us into the family of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Again, rather the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So again, this is called, but what are we inheriting? What we're inheriting, this kind of union with Christ to share in his suffering, right? This vocation suffering servant for the sake of sharing in his glory. And the glory is this uh, reunion with God. Okay, so we've also been given divine glory, and this is this, this notion of theophany, which I think is really helpful, that it's not that God is absent from the rest of creation. It's not that God is absent from, uh, you could say, non-Christians or the kind of non-human creation itself, but it's that uh, for us as inheritor as people who are the new Israel, but specifically through Christ and the Spirit, we have this special encounter with God, this unique sense of God's glory that changes us. So the special encounter with God always sends you home transformed, right? Uh, renewed for your vocation. And this is what we've been given. So the special encounter with God's glory results in transformation and mission, sending on a mission. Okay, so the covenant... So remember, we have um, the covenant with Adam in some sense, which is to go and fill, and I'll be with you, go and fill the earth. But then there's the specifically the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenants, uh, where we're promised that God will be faithful and bless all nations, that God will, and through David, the Messiah will come through his lineage. Um, so what's invoked here is this kind of relational uh, way of thinking of God as the primary actor. God is faithful and will bring about the fulfillment of these covenants. And what I find fascinating about this is that we too have been brought into the covenant by way of the Holy Spirit. So if you think about the timing, uh, so I'll do some ramble trivia for you. Uh, what's happening at Pentecost? What are, what are the Jews celebrating at Pentecost? 
50 days from Passover. 50 days from Passover, which in their timeline, what happened on that day? The dead angel passed over the... No, 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 on the 50 days afterwards. Oh. Exodus? Oh, it's the day I... Now, I, I hope I have this right. Because I've been using this in class, and I feel just terrible if I misread this. And they're never going to question you. That, that's right. They're just there writing down everything I'm saying. Um, but I, to my understanding, that's the day that they're celebrating the time Moses came down from the mountain with the, the law. That's right. So what's interesting here is the timing of this is such that at this point, rather than a new law being given, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon all people. So we see here that there's this fulfillment and this pouring out of God's presence into the people. Now it's no longer through the law, but it's through this bringing, you know, bringing all of us into this Edenic. I mean, you think of the Eden as the place of Shalom it's being poured out to expand into all the earth. So we too have inherited a covenant, and it's the covenant of the Holy Spirit. So we have been brought into this reality as well. And then again, to kind of emphasize the temple and worship service aspect, um, for, for the Israelites, the elements of temple are those that interrupt the chaos of life, that call people back to the rhythms of life with God, calling them to remember their story with God, to confess their sins, to be grateful for what God has done. And this is what church ought to be as well. The nation should be able to look to Israel and say, oh, that's who God is. Likewise, people should be able to look to the church and say, that's who God is. And I would want to emphasize that the priestly human vocation uh, spreads its way into every single type of career. It's not limited to just church ministry. Okay, and then promises that have been given to Israel. These are the covenant promises, land, blessing all nations. God's promises accumulate in their history. Uh, this is kind of calling us back to the fact that God is interested and invested in the outcomes of Israel and, and us as the new Israel. That we have blessings awaiting awaiting us in our, our labor. And then the patriarchs through whom comes the Messiah. The Messiah is the climax. I think, again, this just kind of calls us back to our story, uh, the story of God walking with us. And so there, I've, I've covered a lot. I would invite any comments, questions, interjections. But I, I think the point is that Israel is the image of God in the world. What has been, and Israel has been given the mission of God in the world to, to kind of expand Shalom, to expand Eden. And so that's our mission as well. We've been given these gifts to do that work. All right. In the king's mystic. Uh, yeah, well, it seems like a few of them got close, but... Well, remember, God told Samuel, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. Mm -hmm. the king. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then the Exodus uh, 19 passage, if you will keep my covenant, you'll be a kingdom of priests. Yeah. You'll be my own people. Yeah. I don't feel like that very often, a priest. Yeah, I think it's uh, a really helpful 
it, you know, I actually did a lot of work, I guess it was last year, um, reading about, you know, in honor of the anniversary of the Reformation, uh, Martin Luther's doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. And uh, it was really, it was really a, a good study for me to do because it called me to think hard about my own vocation as a priestly one. And that was a kind of vital aspect of the Reformation was the sense that we actually don't need to have in the church some people who are set out as being holier than the rest of us that are going to mediate God to us. But rather, that's our vocation as Christians, that we have all been called into the privileges of a priesthood in some sense, that we now enter the Holy of Holies, right? That we pray, we are, we are all filled with the Spirit, we all pray to God, we've been given that privilege. And so our job is actually to represent God to the world and the world to God in some sense, to pray for the world, to teach the world how to, how to live into God's, God's calling for it. I always, I always think about you know, the priest as the offer of sacrifices. Mm -hmm. and, you know, in Romans 12, it tells us, yeah, we offer us, our spiritual work is to offer ourselves as that sacrifice rather than an animal. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so I think that mm -hmm. sacrificial role is important as well. Yeah. And uh, I think of the priest too. It's a messy job. Yeah. When you think about all those blood sacrifices, if they had killed the animals and prepared them, it was not a you know, our lives are not, they can be messy too. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. Anything else stand out to you all is your your comment up there that, that we are called in love and then we're called in service. I go back to Ephesians two ten where um, we're his workmanship and he's created mm -hmm. these things for us to do. That's the service that he's got there for us. Yeah. And we miss searching for those at times. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think for me, this was, when I first read about the, the kind of shifting of the notion of election from one of being privileged with salvation to one of vocation, it was really helpful because it relieved me of some guilt I could feel about, why do I know about this and other people don't? Or why, why do some people not seem to care and I do? Or, you know, that when I shifted away from <coughs> Why have I been so lucky as to have this into a paradigm where I think my job is to go and serve and to show people who God is and what God has done in my life. And that is not just my job, but our job collectively, that I don't do this on my own, but I do it as a part of a community. That also relieved me of some anxiety about being all things, you know. That's a tremendous message because mm -hmm. uh, that wasn't the message that, that I received in order. That's right, yeah. My message was, I'm saved. You've done it. That's it. Hooray. Now be good. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's it. And maybe you could baptize somebody if you're yeah. good enough, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah. All right. I think that's it. It's not nearly it. That's it. <laughs> that's a wrap. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you.